Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostics industry. My name is Omar Ford, and I'm the managing editor of MDDI, an online publication that caters to the medical device and diagnostics market. On this episode of Let's Talk MedTech, we're going to be speaking with David Perry, the chairman and co-founder of Better Therapeutics. Now, Better Therapeutics is a digital health company and has products that deliver cognitive behavioral therapy through smartphones to address the root causes of cardiometabolic diseases. David is going to be speaking about the company's efforts and how Better Therapeutics went public through a special purpose acquisition corporation merger. And right now, these mergers are a hot trend going on in healthcare. So we'll be talking about that as well as David's personal journey, his personal healthcare journey that led him to co-found Better Therapeutics. So I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. It's amazing. A lot of good stuff in here. Without further ado, here's our conversation with David Perry, chairman and co-founder of Better Therapeutics. Thank you for coming to Let's Talk MedTech. Appreciate having you here uh, today. I'm happy to be on, Omar. Thank you. Sure. I wanted to talk a, a little bit about Better Therapeutics and kind of understand what led to the founding of the company. Uh, how did you come up with the concept? Well, uh, you know, like like many business ideas, it sort of started with a with a personal journey. Um, I had uh, I have a family history of heart disease. My dad had his first heart attack in his 40s, and so you know, thinking about uh, how to prevent a similar fate has been on my mind, you know, as long as I can remember. Um, I mostly managed that with exercise. And so, um, and I did more and more extreme stuff as I got older, including, you know, three Ironman triathlons and, you know, 20 hours of working out a week sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and despite that, you know, my cholesterol numbers, uh, continued to climb. And so, I um, I realized there had to be another approach, and I started doing some reading, and uh, you know con- re- realized what uh, what a lot of leaders in the field already knew, which was you know f- food was really the the driver for a lot of this. You know what we choose what we choose to eat and how we eat has an enormous impact on our metabolism and and resulting health. Um, and so I started working with my co-founder, Kevin Applebaum, on this topic. And the more we got into it, you know, the more ridiculous what we're doing in the U.S. around metabolic diseases seem to be. To, to give you some numbers, um, we spend about $4 trillion a year in the U.S. on healthcare. care. Uh, probably $3 trillion of that is spent on diseases that are caused by the behavior of the patient themselves. You know, these aren't infectious diseases or trauma or something. They're they're you know diseases that are caused by the way the patient is choosing to to uh, eat, drink, smoke, etc. And yet, you know, despite that, we are spending ever more money each year on drugs that treat the symptoms of these diseases. So we can give you a drug that lowers your blood sugar or lowers your cholesterol or lowers your hypertension. But we spend 
you know, very little money trying to address the underlying causes. You know, why is your blood sugar high in the first place? And so, so it would, you know, the enormity of that problem is sort of what got us focused on it. And then we, and then we, as we read more, especially in the scientific literature, we realized there was also a solution. There are a number of scientific studies describing um, healthcare providers and doctors who can work one-on-one or small groups with patients delivering cognitive behavioral therapy, and in doing so, change the patient's behavior, and that behavior change, you know, improving and often even reversing the patient's disease. So there were, were sort of these, these handful of doctors crying, like voices in the wilderness, you know, sort of saying, hey, we've got a solution. But of course, it wasn't really a solution because it doesn't scale. You know, we, there are approximately 100 million U- adults in the U.S. with a metabolic disease. We can't, we can't afford to, nor do we have enough people to do one-on-one therapy with all of them. It, and so that was really the founding hypothesis around better therapeutics. Our, our thought in 2015 was you know, maybe we can create software, deliver it via a, a, a mobile app that'll have the same sort of impact on these diseases that one-on-one and small group therapy has. But because it's software, we can deliver it in a way that's scalable and affordable and, you know, and hopefully make a real impact on this disease in the broader population. And, uh, and so that's what we've been working on since 2015. Well, well, do you, do you think that this concept could have worked, uh, 10 to 15 years ago? And if not, what was kind of the tipping point to to allow this to to, to come about this this approach that you're taking? Uh, yeah, good question. So, uh, no, it would not have worked 10 or 15 years ago. Um, you know, we benefit like a lot of companies from sort of foundational technologies. In this case, the you know, the smartphone is one of those. Yeah. You know, they're they're virtually ubiquitous now. They weren't a decade ago. Yeah. And that enables us and a whole bunch of others to deliver apps to 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 consumers. Along with that are other well-known technologies like increasing in available bandwidth and so forth. So so you know those sort of helped us from a platform perspective. There have been a couple of things that have really driven um, the adoption of this kind of technology. We'll call it digital health yeah. in the last few years. Uh, one of them was that in 2017, the FDA published guidelines on how they would think about approving software. Um, and so that helped us enormously. You know, that gave us a clear, a clear sense of what our approach was going to be in our business model. And then, of course, you know, COVID has made doctors and patients much more open to remotely delivered or digitally delivered healthcare. And that provides tailwinds for us along with, you know, others in the digital health area. Let's go into some detail about, uh, about the company's solution. Can you talk a, a little bit about it, where it is along the regulatory pathway, or maybe give an update on the progress of any ongoing regulatory trials? Yeah, certainly. So um, I'll just describe, describe what we do briefly. So essentially, uh, we're developing a, a different type of therapeutic. 
we deliver software as a therapeutic instead of, you know, chemistry or biology. Everything else is the same, though. So, you know, patient goes to the doctor, doctor diagnoses a disease, doctor writes a prescription. In this case, they write a prescription for for a mobile app as opposed to or in addition to a chemotherapy. And then, you know, that that prescription is reimbursed by insurance and so forth. So what we've what we in in other prescription digital therapeutics are doing is designing a therapeutic that while it's different in form, it otherwise fits seamlessly into the way healthcare is delivered today. To to do that, of course, we have to go through the same sort of regulatory process that a new drug or medical device would go through. And in particular, software, uh, the, the regulatory path for software is most similar to a medical device. So um, we had conducted a number of earlier trials, which we called uh, pilot trials, in both hypertension and diabetes. We are currently enrolling a pivotal trial in diabetes. Uh, we expect that to be about 650 patients. Uh, we expect to have it fully enrolled this year and uh, and the, announce the primary endpoint around the end of this year, 2021. And, uh, and following those results, um, assuming the data is supportive, we would file a marketing authorization with the FDA and expect approval in 2022. Awesome. Now, you mentioned diabetes. I feel like diabetes is kind of the starter disease that everyone tackles, um, you know, in the beginning. I remember Google when they really got into healthcare before they split off and became Verily uh, Life Sciences, before they split off that division. They were making a lot of partnerships with uh, with companies and they were working uh, with med tech companies and they were working in diabetes. That seemed to be the low hanging fruit, uh, so to speak. Why do you think that diabetes is so attractive a space for for uh, digital health for companies such as yourself? And, and, and you know, why is it uh, the main focus or the main t- target, I guess? Well, it's it's probably the size of the problem. You know, the, uh, the, the burden of disease is extraordinary. Right? There are about 30 million Americans who are currently diagnosed with diabetes. There are about 88 million Americans who have pre-diabetes. Um, so with the, you know, the burden of disease on patients, on insurers, and you know, and on employers and society in general who lose that productivity is extraordinary. And all the trends are wrong. You know, <laughs> the incidence is going up every year, and the cost of treating that disease goes up every year. So, um, the size of the problem. Uh, you know, translates to opportunity for those of us who are trying to solve it. And, um, you know, that's, that's certainly true for us. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's amazing about the scope and you see how diabetes is, is affecting the U S and you see just the problem and you have the numbers and you have the statistics and you have the data and a lot of companies are flocking toward this space for diabetes management and, and treatment. Um, you know, ultimately, what would you like to do in that space, specifically focusing on diabetes? Just curious. Um, well, I, you know, I talked about one thing we're doing fundamentally differently, which is delivering 
therapeutics that are software instead of drugs. A, a second fundamental difference is that we're treating the underlying causes of the disease as opposed to the symptoms. Sure. And 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 that's you know, if if I think about what we want to ultimately accomplish, it's to change the way these diseases are treated such that the the first thing that happens when a patient is newly diagnosed with a metabolic disease is that they get a prescription digital therapeutic that helps them change their behavior so that perhaps they don't need the drugs uh, at all. Um, it, it's it's already in the treatment guidelines. So, you know, every, all, every disease have, has an algorithm of, of you treat, treatment guidelines that physicians tend to follow. Uh, in almost every metabolic disease, the, the first treatment guideline is counsel patient on changes in in exercise and and uh, and diet. It it almost never actually happens that way. Like there's no the the system isn't designed for that to work. You know the the average doctor only spends three or four minutes with a patient in a typical appointment. Maybe they spend a few seconds of that time talking to them about how they should improve diet and exercise, and it has almost no impact. Really, what we're doing is enabling that first step in the treatment. So we're, we're giving physicians a tool so that they can actually do that first thing before they start drugs. And if we're as successful as we want to be at some point in the future, every newly diagnosed patient with a metabolic disease, you know, gets uh, a prescription digital therapeutic first. Well, David, this is awesome information that we're getting on better therapeutics. But I want to take a brief pause in the conversation and talk to the audience about MDNM West. Yes, MDNM West is right around the corner. It's occurring August 10th through the 12th at the Anaheim Convention Center. MDNM West brings together medtech engineers, business leaders, disruptive companies, and innovative thinkers to create powerful solutions and life-changing medical devices. And guess what? I'll be there. Yes, I'm so stoked. This is a live person event. And after everything we've been through and are going through with the pandemic, this is a much needed change. So I will be there at the Anaheim Convention Center, ready to greet you all, to say hello. It's just going to be an amazing time. Now, maybe you need a little bit more information. Maybe you haven't registered yet, or maybe you want to see what some of the panels are going to be about. Well, to do so, you can find out that information at mdmwest.com. That's M as in Mary, D as in Dwayne, M as in Michael, west.com. You can find out all kinds of information. You can map out your event, uh, what you'll be going to, plan your schedule. It's just going to be so much fun, so great. Look forward to seeing you all there. And now, back to our conversation with David. And this also goes into a theme that I've found with a lot of digital health companies. And it seems that you're, you're empowering the patient. The patient is becoming more involved in his or her own health. And I'm, I'm seeing that more and more, I, you know, with each story I write, each podcast, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on. And I see that a lot of digital health companies, it, it's kind of all about 
giving the patient that power or empowering the patient, so to speak. Do, do, do you see that um, maybe as a trend in, in digital health companies or or what you're doing? Absolutely. Hey, you, you know, if we pull back a little bit, it, this is a necessary transition. You know, the the last hundred years of of medical science and healthcare is a miracle. You know, we've dramatically increased um, you know, lifespan and quality of life through antibiotics and vaccines and you know better better tools and and uh, and techniques. Um, but that but that healthcare system was really designed to do something else. You know, it was designed to to treat infections and trauma and and so forth. Yes. And, yeah. and the the current uh, epidemic of disease are not those things, you know, <laughs> they are, if you put COVID aside, at least, yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're diseases that are caused by patient behavior. And we, the system's just not set up to deal with that. We don't, we don't have any way t- today in the current system of, of really influencing patient behavior at scale at a reasonable cost. And that's what digital therapeutics make possible. Um, you know, and, and until we do that, we're going to continue to see the epidemic increase. Like if, if all we're doing is treating the symptoms of these diseases, then more and more people are going to get the disease and it's going to cost more and more to treat it. It's an unsustainable trend. So so you've got to have companies like Better Therapeutics and others that are focused on this begin to change the system. So we 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 can address underlying cause. And to do that, you have to incorporate the patient and, and allow them to take more responsibility for their own treatment. Well, and, and as you said, it's a natural evolution of healthcare, And it seems that digital health is, is bridging that divide between traditional health care and what we're going into now. Um, I, I remember when um, the Affordable Care Act came out uh, a few years back, and there was all this debate around it. And some of the physicians and key opinion leaders were saying, we don't have health care, we have sick care. You know, they were making that comment. And I think, you know, if we look at it, that's that's true. Maybe not for the same reasons that they said it, um, you know, not trying to get too political into this, but um, really just focusing on the patient empowerment and, and, and how patients can have, you know, play a, a stronger uh, role in their their lives and their health care. You know, I I was talking to my mom uh, not too long ago. She has a lot of um, she, she has a lot of chronic illnesses and, um, you know, she had some symptoms and she was discussing them with me. And I went and I looked on Google and I had like some of her test results, some of her blood test results. Um, she told me some things and I didn't self-diagnose her. I didn't do that. But uh-huh. I was kind of, you know, because all roads lead to death once you do once you do that. But um, I was uh, talking to her and just saying, well, this is what this means, mom. And this is the th- threshold for this. And mm-hmm. I can remember 10, 15, uh, you know, 20 years ago. I'm in my 40s now, but 20 years ago, I just took the doctor's word as gospel. There was no follow up or anything. I didn't you know, I didn't check online for any of this stuff. But now that information is available to us and, and I can help her, you know, in her journey and her healthcare journey. Yeah. I mean, one of the most remarkable learnings we've had as we've now treated, you know, 
thousands of, of metabolic patients with metabolic disease is, is how little they often understand about the root causes of their own disease. You know, it's almost like they're being counseled for the first time. Yeah. They, they went to the doctor, they got a drug without, without ever understanding that, that their own actions contributed significantly to that disease or that they could, you know, they could take steps to remedy it. Um, you know, that's changing fast uh, through, through, through mechanisms like you describe and through companies who are focused on making sure that happens. Sure, sure. Well, want to shift the conversation a bit and talk about um, the company going public in, in that process. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine, you know, prior to going public, you probably had a ton of support for from venture capitalists. Um, I can, you know, I, I'm looking at how much is invested in digital health companies nowadays, and it's it's insane. It's amazing. But wanted to talk about going public and, and kind of go into that a little bit because it was quite a different process than the traditional IPO. Am I right on that? Or yeah, that's correct. So uh, you know, for for your listeners, uh, Better Therapeutics announced in April that we were combining with a SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation, and uh, and at the same time we were completing a. Uh, a private investment of $50 million. And, uh, and so we'd be going public via that merger with a SPAC. Um, that process is ongoing. We expect it to close, you know, this summer. Um, we, you know, a lot, a lot more people know about SPACs now than they did 12 months ago, yeah. but, uh, but it's still a fairly new process. In our own case, we, um, you know, when we decided we needed to raise a, a larger amount of money to sort of fully capture the opportunity in metabolic disease, uh, we went and talked to investors uh, in December. We talked to probably 12 or 15, you know, large public company type investors and asked them, you know, we said, we're considering an IPO, a crossover financing or a, you know, a merger with a SPAC, what do you think? And, and out of that, we, um, we got, you know, people, investors were supportive in general. And a couple of them said, if you, we think a SPAC is the right way to go here. And if you, if you combine with a SPAC, we will lead the private investment portion, the pipe. And so, so that, you know, we, we listened to the investors and that kicked off the process. Uh, we started it in January. We um, we hired investment bank Cowan to help us, and we uh, we sort of targeted five SPACs that had the sort of financial characteristics we were looking for, and pretty quickly narrowed it down to to Mountain Crest Two, which is the SPAC that we announced we were going to merge with. Um, and you know, reached definitive agreements. Um, signed up the investors in the pipe, and indeed the the two investors that sort of step forward to lead were Farallon and Sectoral, and they they indeed led the pipe. And um, yeah, and that that leads us to the public announcement. Well, amazing, amazing. And, uh, you know, there it, it speaks to the need, the growing need and the growing, I don't want to say popularity, but just the, you know, the acceptance of a lot of these digital health companies now. You know, I'm going back to the days when I started um, as a journalist in med tech. And that was in 2007. And 
the landscape was very different <laughs> than it is now. You know, I don't even think digital health was a thing back then. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of my first stories was the iPad's importance in in healthcare. And, you know, everybody was kind of it was it was under so much scrutiny, but uh, in, in a way. But, you know, that was kind of the extent uh, back then when I first started. And now to see these apps, to see um, just the ingenuity, to see just the support that companies are getting from a financial standpoint, from a patient standpoint, from key opinion leaders, it, it's quite refreshing. And it's a, it's, it's a change. People are more, you know, accepting of it now because it's becoming the norm. And mm-hmm. that being said, I wanted to ask you um, this. Where do you see this field of app-based therapies in the next five to 10 years? And mm-hmm. I mean, for better therapeutics and also just the industry as a whole, if you could kind of take those that in two parts. Yeah, sure. Well, it and maybe I'll I'll talk about three sectors because you know digital therapeutics is such a broad term. Sure, and sure. It often often means different things to different people. Um, you know, relative to to what we're doing at Better Therapeutics, we sort of think about three sectors. There's a consumer app side, and and that that is enormous. I, at last count, there were three hundred and seventy thousand health and fitness apps available in the app store. You know, <laughs> so if if you want to you know track your exercise, track your diet, get reminders, and uh, and do that for free or a relatively modest cost each month, there are a plethora of options available. And, you know, on some are quite good. Like, I, I think that will that will be, you know, the, that, that is a valuable uh, and, and useful um, field of endeavor. Uh, so that's sort of one category. And I think those are going to get better and better and and really be focused on the preventative side. Much in the same way, you know, health health food vitamins over the care uh, over the counter uh, medications are treated today. Um, there's a second category which is um, it's really dis- digital disease management, and disease management's been around a long time. It, you know, if you have diabetes, it's it's helping remind you to take your blood sugar regularly, take your medications, make an appointment with your doctor. And being able to do that digitally just facilitates all of that. It just works better digitally than it did in the offline world. And that's going to continue to be really important and grow. And then there's a third category, which is where Better Therapeutics lives, which is prescription digital therapeutics. And this is the most nascent of these, but one of the most important. It's, it's, you know, there are companies who go through the hard work and investment of getting an FDA clearance. But as a result of that, can you know can be prescribed by a doctor and reimbursed by insurance and get access to the to the much greater total addressable market that's that's uh, that results from that. And uh, you know I think we're going to see growth in all three of these, but I think where you know where we're really going to see an explosion is in the prescription digital therapeutics area. Wow, it'll be interesting to kind of chart that path and to see where we're at uh, 10 years from now or, or just even five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
David, I see that our time is running short. I want to thank you for coming out and, and speaking to Let's Talk MedTech. And, and please, we'd love to have you again. Well, it was, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. I enjoyed the conversation and would be happy to come back. Thank you, Omar. All right. Sounds great. Thanks and take care. Okay. Bye.